This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of Whistler Blackcomb, leaders in delivering adventure. He was trying to teach me how to telemark um, ski, and we had made it probably 200 meters before we were in a fight. And I was screaming at him, student-centered, student-centered teaching. (laughs) And really what I wanted him to just know was the way that I wanted to learn, which obviously he didn't really know, and he was trying his best. Welcome to Delivering Adventure. This is the podcast that explores what it really takes to share adventure like a pro with your friends, your family, and as a profession. My name is Chris Capio, and I'm coming to you from Whistler, British Columbia. And I'm Jordy Shepard, recording from Canmore, Alberta. After a lifetime of working extensively in different parts of the adventure guiding industry, Chris and I have teamed up to launch this podcast. In each episode, you will hear top adventure guides, managers, marketers, and athletes share their best stories, advice, and trade secrets. The goal of this podcast is to share how you can take yourself and others farther from the mountains to the office and beyond. In this episode, we talk with Tracy Fraser. Tracy currently works as a training manager of the Whistler Blackcomb Snow School. She's a level four certified ski instructor, which is the highest level you can attain, and instructor examiner with the Canadian Ski Instructors Alliance, at also the highest level you can attain as a examiner. Tracy has also been selected to represent Canada at two inter-ski events, which is a kind of a big deal, including the one coming up in 2023 in Finland. When we look at what it takes to deliver adventure, there are three main elements. They are perception, capacity, and adversity. If you want someone to achieve an adventure, they have to want to do it in the first place. They need the ability to do it, and the amount of adversity they are exposed to has to be managed so that they are not either overwhelmed or bored. And going back to perception, the experience has to be remembered afterwards as being positive. In this episode, Tracy is going to share with us how we can help people to become better. The better we are at anything, the more enjoyable it becomes and the more adversity we can handle. In this episode, Tracy is going to share with us some of the secrets of how we can be better at teaching skills. It is worth noting that this is a bit of a sneak preview of what you can expect to hear more of in season two of Delivering Adventure as we spend more time exploring the different skills that go into delivering epic adventures. Now, Chris, you work with Tracy, is that right? Yes, I do, Jordy. I've been doing some work in the training department at Whistler Blackcomb, so technically she's one of my managers. It's probably one of the first of many people we are going to interview that I work for. Small industry we have. So just to put Tracy's skills into context, Tracy is among the 1% of the top 1% when it comes to being a skilled technical ski instructor in Canada. There are over 20,000 ski instructors in Canada, and only a handful of them are certified to train the highest level of certification, as Jordy mentioned, that level four. Just achieving that level takes incredible dedication and athleticism. I'm really excited to hear what Tracy has to say. Let's bring her into the studio. Hello, Tracy. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Where are you right now? I am um, in Squamish, British Columbia. So that's halfway between Whistler and Vancouver in my house with my new pup. Can you tell us something about yourself that most people don't know about you? 
Um, yeah, it's funny with social media, I feel like people know everything about everyone now, but I guess one thing um, that people may not know is that I have a pretty healthy fear of heights. Um, yeah, I just don't like them. I remember being a kid in London and visiting St. Paul's Cathedral with my family and wanting to lie down flat on the floor of the balcony, like just press myself into something solid. And, uh, I work on it all the time. And especially, you know, when I'm climbing, it takes a lot of positive self-talk to make myself get to the top of the rope. So that may be something people don't know. Wow. So you're, you're an instructor, a ski instructor, and you're afraid of heights. Yeah. So anything that has a bit of exposure, you're, there's some deep breathing going on. <laughs> so Tracy, you've made quite a long career out of delivering adventure. Let me start by asking, why did you pick this as your career? I think there's a couple things that led me to that, if I maybe answer it in that way. Um, one, I've discovered about myself that I really love being outside. So two things. One, you know, I started skiing when I was three years old. My mom taught me how to ski, myself and my two brothers. And that's what we did every weekend is we went skiing. So we spent basically every Saturday, Sunday outside all day. Um, I started racing and loved that. I started instructing and I found that was a great calling too. So that was part of it. My mom was a teacher as well. So that I watched her be a really good teacher. And I think I gained a lot of skill from watching how she interacted with people. And I felt I was pretty good at that. So I ended up doing that for a long time. Um, and the other thing is I worked in the tree planting industry for about 10 years, again, outside. So I'd spend my summers outside, any type from snow, rain, sun, stream heat. Um, but again, with a group of people and I went into crew bossing and supervising in those roles too. So again, I was a leader of people in those roles. I can't help myself from being a leader and a teacher. So I love that kind of part of it. And I guess what I really discovered of myself is that I need to be outside in order to be happy. Um, being outside, leading people, that's my calling. So what did your path into the adventure industry look like after that? Yeah, so I <laughs> I did my degree in psychology um, at Western in Ontario. And the choices coming out of that degree looked kind of lab and clinical-like. And after spending winters on the hill and summers out in a field, I knew that wasn't really an option. So I had a friends out West which, of course, that's what you do when you finish your degree. You don't know what to do with yourself. You go to Whistler. So I traveled out to Whistler and ended up with some pretty great jobs. Um, two of those were instructing, one in the kids' snow school and one in the adult snow school. Those were separate at the time. And I loved it. And <laughs> the funny thing was, is that when I was teaching the adults, every day at lunch, we'd go and we'd sit inside together and we'd chat. And I'd ask them what they did, and they'd say, you know, I'm a marketer or I'm a lawyer. And I was like, that's great. That sounds really interesting. And in my mind, honestly, I had mental notes of a no column and a yes column. And the no column just got bigger all the time and nothing ever went into the yes column. Like nothing was better than what I was doing. So therefore I stayed. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, I think it comes back to having those influences of being outside, liking to be a leader of people, that just kind of pushed myself through the snow school as well. So after instructing for a couple of years, I became a supervisor there and I've spent a lot of years in supervising and management and then filing 
into training eventually um, with Worcester Black Home, and I love it. So can you think of a success that you've had in your career that you're really proud of that goes beyond, you know, getting certification and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I guess it would be along those lines, though. You know, getting the level four was one step of it and it opens a huge amount of doors for you. Um, I chose to keep pursuing that path. So after you get your level four, you can do your examiner levels. So you can work yourself up from a level one examiner, two, three, and then four. And so at this point, I'm a level four course conductor and evaluator, which I honestly never knew that that was something that I could do. So yeah, it surpasses my expectations and I'm pretty proud of that. Again, there's not a lot of women at that stage too. And so I'm happy to be there and try and open doors for a lot of people, you know, achieving their level four. And it gives me a lot of fulfillment watching people go through that process and helping them achieve their goals. It's really satisfying. And that's, I guess, something to be proud of. And the cool thing about that too is, you know, some of those doors that get opened is that um, there's an opportunity when you become a course conductor to try out for an interski team. And so interski is a world skiing congress that happens every four years at one point in the world and instructors from all over the world come together and discuss skiing and show skiing. And a cool thing that I've been able to do is go to Bulgaria in 2019 um, as part of that Congress and was selected again to go to Finland next year to this Congress. So pretty stoked about that. What makes those events uh, so important in the ski teaching industry? They are, you know what, they're, they're really fun for one. You know, it helps to ignite your enthusiasm and inspiration for skiing and seeing that there's people like you all over the world that I call myself a ski geek. And so these are like ski geeks unite, you know, um, people are really passionate about delivering that experience and skiing their best. And, you know, you need to train a lot to get to that point. You need to really invest yourself. And so this is a group of people from all over the world that are investing just like you are. Um, the really cool thing and the important thing about the event is that you learn from each other and people are really excited to share what they've been thinking about in skiing and show you what they've been doing in their skiing. So they're important to move us forward as an industry when we all get together and, you know, think about what other people are thinking about. So Tracy, you've made a career out of teaching people how to become better coaches and instructors. How many years have you been doing that now? Oh man. Um, I don't know. I guess I started when I was a teenager. And so we would do that. Um, every weekend I would teach one day and I would race the other day and took a bit of hiatus during university and then ended up doing it after university. Honestly, I started, it was a few different stops and starts. Um, at the end of university, I didn't know what to do with myself. I had come out West to visit that friend, gone back to Ontario, didn't know what to do. So called up a couple resorts, um, around my hometown and ended up working there for a season at two different resorts and then came back out west again and ended up with two jobs here again not looking for them I was going to be a volunteer on the mountain and they looked at my resume and knew that I was certified so they asked me to become part of the snow school instead so yeah that's you know it's been going on now I'm almost 50 so yeah I've had a few years under my belt awesome that's great nice healthy long career and what, what are some tips that you can pass on to our listeners to become a better guide, coach, or instructor? 
I think, you know, being a really good coach is someone who knows how to watch people and listen to people really carefully. There's two parts of that. Like one, you have to be able to watch someone and see what their strengths are because you want them to be able to use their strengths and build on the strengths that they have. And the other part is to look for weaknesses. You know, what are the components that they need to work on? If you're breaking it down to just different skill sets, what is the skill you need to work on with them so that you can strengthen that part so they can put their strengths and weaknesses together, work together, and then, you know, come out with a better result. So tangible things and, and kind of individual things. If, if you throw too much at people, uh, whether it's a coach or instructor or, or somebody who is being coached or instructed, uh, it just it just confuses the whole process, right? Uh, so so I, I find it's best to try 100%. one thing at a time. 100%. Yeah. I think that's the biggest um, factor that leads into frustration is when you've moved on too quickly. You know, people really need to feel, to be given something new, feel that challenge, work through that challenge so that they're accomplishing something, and then just spend time in that zone. We, people really do get frustrated if they're feeling some success and you add then too much onto it and then they lose that feeling of success. That's usually when frustration comes along. And yeah, I've seen a lot of, well, and I've experienced that too as a coach where I've added too much and then lost everything great that we were just doing. Another part of that is time of day, you know, really paying attention to when you're adding stuff, when their energy is high. If you're trying to, a lot of times what we'll do, our morning schedule is we'll get out there and get activated in the morning, warm up really well, and then, you know, start seeing what we can do, breaking something down, working on that component for a while, putting it back in. And we usually end our day by around 1.30 or so. You know, if you take a break, sit inside for 45 minutes, go back outside and then try to ramp back up to where you were, it takes a while again. You can't expect those results to come right back. So expecting that, which is one, and again, not then adding a bunch of new stuff on. Just let it sit. Let people really try to consolidate what they've just learned and go with that for a little while. You'll be on a way better step or building block and then come back and add something new maybe the next day. Awesome. That's some great uh, set of tips there. In terms of being a coach, what are some of the good characteristics of being a good, a good coach? And uh, I suspect your psychology training might help um, you while you're coaching and instructing as well that's funny my psychology part was actually more perception you know like brain and ears and eyes and that kind of stuff so not that great but in psychology yeah I think the, the biggest part is that that mental game as a coach right so again strengths and weaknesses being able to read your people really well and treat people like individuals and approach them with what they need and what their goals are I think a lot of the times we put our goals onto people and we may again move them towards something where it's not really where they were wanting to go. So really listening, you know, what is it that they want? What are the goals that they're looking for? What is their motivation? You know, being able to tap into how they are motivated is really important, not how you are motivated. I think sometimes when a connection gets broken, when someone tries to motivate them in the way that they feel motivation, you know, for example, there may be someone that's a, you know, a coach that was motivated by being challenged. And for some people, they rise to the challenge. They like being challenged and they'll say, I'll prove you wrong, you know. And there's other people that they just need positive reinforcement. They need small bits. They need to be fed a lot of 
just positivity for them to keep moving forward. So really being able to treat each person like an individual and feed to what they need is really important. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's not bad to throw people right into it. They just want to kind of immerse themselves in that experience and see what they don't know and, and give them a chance to maybe fail a little bit. Uh, and then and then you reel them back into, okay, well, let's let's work on that. I, I recall going to uh, Depot Division uh, in in Regina in Saskatchewan uh, as a park warden, and you know we all had driver's licenses and we knew how to drive. Been doing that for a long time, and they gave us the keys to a police car on the track, and they said they they didn't do any instruction at all initially, and they said go drive a few laps, and we were out in the rhubarb all over the place, and yeah, burning out tires and. And That's not great. making corners and and hitting certain cones that they called grandma there. Uh, it's like you just you just hit grandma again, kind of trying to weave through the cones. And then they taught us how to drive. But it, it really gave us that perspective of of okay, actually maybe I don't really know what I'm doing here. But but I had to show myself that failure first. Yeah, that is one good approach. That's how I learned how to drive standard with a huge truck out tree planting in the middle of a field. And they said, well, go ahead. You got to go move the truck. And I think, you know, if you're, if you're given the leeway to fail and there isn't personal consequence at stake, if that's a great way to learn something when you know the outcome is fun and it really doesn't matter either way. And I think when someone feels that the consequence may be personal, you have, you may have to take a different approach. Yeah. Or if there's danger, obviously. Yeah. In order to improve, we often need to change something in ourselves, and we can't change by maintaining the status quo. So there's this bit of a bit of a problem there. So how do you think we can convince someone that they should want to change what they're doing if they like what they're doing, but they don't want to change anything? Yeah, I think that's a hard one because I think it's really hard to convince someone to change. So I guess my perspective or approach with people like that is to present the facts if I can and a lot of times step back and let them come to the answer you know for example there's sometimes if I'm having a hard time getting through to people um, we'll do sometimes do a mock evaluation because you've got hard facts so we'll set up some scenarios where you get marked by a group of people and people receive those marks and it gives them exactly where they're standing you know in their skiing on that day those results can crush people, <laughs> which they usually come back from, but it can really motivate people too. But it gives them a really good black and white perspective of where they are. And then they can choose, right? You, it's really hard. I, don't, I have learned over the last few years that I can't convince someone to want something. I need to them to let them sit with, you know, what, what is their goal? And if they decide that that is their goal, that I'm there, I'm a hundred percent and I will commit to you, but you got to commit to it first. So a lot of times it's having those discussions with people. It may just be sitting down and saying like, what is it that you want? I can't make you want this. So once they figure it out and they come back to me, then I'm in. I was at a, a ski hill with a park warden a bunch of years ago and we were doing, we we're working on ski skills because we did a lot of backcountry skiing and we were doing rescues and, um, mm. and traveling in the backcountry. But often that's not the best way to learn how to ski, especially when you walk up and get a very little bit of down at the end of the day or maybe a couple short laps. Yeah. Uh, and so we would spend time at the ski resorts. And I'm not a ski instructor myself, but I've, I've ski raced and 
So I, I have a lot of bad habits probably. Um, and, and I've been guiding for years. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I went out with this fellow to, uh, to the ski hill. And as we ski, you know, we just started skiing down off the lift and, and he was holding his elbows way out to the side, like pointing them straight sideways, like, like he's doing the, the chicken dance. And, and I thought that was kind of odd. And so I, but I didn't want to deflate him or anything. Um, and he wasn't skiing super poorly, but he was in, in the learning phase. And, but at one point I did say, so, so what's with the arms out thing? He's like, oh, well, I, I was out with another park warden, uh, who was, who was a guide and rescue specialist, uh, a little while before. And they said, hold, you know, cause I guess his arms were, were in too tight. And so they said, you know, hold your elbows out more. So he was overcompensating, right? The pendulum had swung and they're just sticking way out there. And so, but he, he said, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm too far out there. And so I shot a little bit of video, you know, just a, just a 30 second clip of him skiing down and showed it to him. He's like, I look, I look like I'm doing the chicken dance out there. What? <laughs> and it, it, it was just, you know, I think that visualization thing, um, which is so easy for us to do, right. With, with the video capability we all have in our phones in our pockets nowadays. And, and that just speaks volumes, right? Because people have this self-perception of what they look like and what they're doing and how it feels. And then if you show them visually, right there it's like I think I might need to change that yeah and I think it's you know the skiing should be we're really moving right now into a phase of function over form you know does the movement serve you or does it not serve you if it serves you and it's working well for you and you're getting the desired action okay go ahead and do it but you know and if it looks crazy okay it 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 doesn't really matter in the end but again a certain movement can actually throw you off and not allow you to perform. So usually what, if I can provide some sort of perspective that this movement's going to actually help you achieve X or Y, that's usually when then they can hang on, you know, grasp onto something saying, Oh, uh, that's why I want to change that. Okay. I see the result of that. Um, and that usually takes them really far in that way. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. The other thing too, that I've really thought about a lot this year is, in order to change someone's skiing, you have to change their understanding. So a lot of times we'll be holding on to something that someone told us, like we understood skiing to be in a certain way. But if we change the understanding of like, no, you don't need to do this, it's this, or oh, when that person said that, they probably meant this, not this, the light bulb goes on and that's when they change. So a lot of times the verbal part of skiing, you know, of discussing skiing is really important, you know, besides the showing. Showing is important, but there's two sides of it. Showing and telling are both really important. Why should we want to be better at anything? I think that's a great question. And I guess my answer would be that who doesn't feel great when they're getting better at something? You know, it's the best feeling of the world, that feeling of success or fulfillment or growth uh, I love that. I honestly have built my whole life doing exactly that, improving myself. I'm always looking on ways to improve because it feels so good when I've worked hard for something and I'm able to look back on it and be proud of my results. I think that's basically the same for everyone is that when you've gone through something that you know you had to put effort into and you look back and even if it's not the exact thing that you were looking for, being able to know that you accomplished something just is the best feeling. Have you been faced with a situation where you had a difficult time convincing someone to change what they were doing? 
so that they could become better? And how did he handle that? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> and I guess that's what's great about it, you know, having those challenges is that there are some people that are quite easy and they're really coachable. You tell them something and they go and change it. And it's quite remarkable how quickly, you know, they can progress. And there's other people that for whatever reason, they're so holding on to something, you know, some sort of belief or some sort of feeling about themselves that they may not want to change that. And again, I think it comes down to the hard facts, you know, presenting the evidence, putting it in front of them and then asking them, you know, do you want to move forward? And this is what I know, you know, like being really confident, sorry, confident in myself and my knowledge and that being okay. You know, if someone wants to challenge you, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> challenge me. Because at this point, you know, I have the experience and knowledge to feel pretty confident in what I know. Um, and I'll give you what I know and you can go ahead and take it or you can leave it. But in the end, I think you have to give people what you know and stand back and let them make their own decisions. Do you think fear uh, or fear of failure often plays a lot into that for them? Your relationship with trust is really important with whoever you are um, doing a sport with or trying to increase a skill with. If you don't take time to establish that, then fear will probably still play a huge factor. But if you can create a relationship with someone where they trust you, then they're going to allow you to pull them forward little by little, knowing that you've created a safe space for them. And that can be physically or that can be emotionally. Tell us about a situation that really tested your coaching skills and how you handled that. You know, honestly, every time I take out a level four training group, or if I'm leading a level four group for a CSAA course, which is a multi-day course, I feel like I'm testing myself every time. You know, the people that I'm skiing with on those courses or those days are generally quite good skiers and have a lot of experience. So they have a lot of opinion already about skiing. So there's a few things I do to prepare myself to ski with those groups. Um, one is just physical, making sure that I keep myself in shape so that that doesn't become an obstacle, whether it's the terrain or the fitness level of the people in our group or the conditions of that day, being able to just be fit to sail through that part is really important. Um, other parts are, you know, mentally just being on the top of my game, making sure that I'm current with the information and the knowledge that I need to be able to just show up and deliver my best on those days. That's really important. And the other part of the mental game is for me is just um, being able to relax so that I can show up. So a lot of times I will, <laughs> this sounds really corny, but I'm my way up on the hill um, I'll listen to Oprah's super soul sessions and uh, because there's, she interviews some really great people that have some really great insight into life and just perspective on life. So being able to grasp an inspiration or a quote or a thought from something like that, that I can then take to the group and start the day saying like, okay, here we are. This is the day. Here's my thought. What do you think? It just creates this common feeling or goal of the day where everyone can relax, I can relax and know that then I can just show up and do my thing. Now, I think there are a lot of instructors and coaches and even guides in exam situations that find the situation that you just outlined to be quite difficult and stressful. I think that anytime we have to perform in front of our peers, especially if they have similar or greater skill sets than us, 
we can really end up feeling like we were under the microscope. When we are in these situations, I think it's quite common to feel like each of our actions and words are being judged and dissected. What is your advice to people who might find themselves in this situation? Yeah, I experienced that this year, actually. At the beginning of the year, I conducted course conductor training. So that's when all the course conductors from the country get together and they go over the content for that year. You know, what is the message? Where are we going in this year? And um, one of the groups that I had, had that I was leading, had a lot of my mentors in the group as participants. So that can be pretty intimidating, you know, going up to that day. And knowing that in our industry, we're pretty judgy. <laughs> so the opportunity for failure was quite large there and would impact my reputation. So um, a few things. One for me is to take space and time, again, to know my stuff. If I go in feeling unprepared, I will get nervous and I won't deliver my best. So I take that time to read over the material, make sure that I'm current, make sure I can have good conversations with these people. Um, I, in order to prepare to, I make cue cards. You can stop me basically in any course on the hill. If you see me in my CSAA jacket, ask to see my pockets and you will see cue cards that are written in different colors and highlighted with my content for the day. So I don't forget the major nuggets or the plan of the day. That makes me feel more relaxed and confident that I know, you know, I've like put my little rocks down to follow during that day. Um, and the third part, I think, is to not underestimate the value of the people that you have in your group and don't treat them like they don't know anything. You know, use them as much as you can. Ask their opinion. Use the job instead of a maybe leader or presenter of that day to be a facilitator of the group. If you can facilitate discussion and ask people what they know and then guide them along the path, but use them as your major players, um, everyone seems to have a really good day. We're going to pause here for a moment so that we can ask you, our listener, an important question. Are you enjoying this episode so far? If you are, then please take a moment to follow the show in your favorite podcast app or service. Jordy and I have a lot of great content coming your way, including more episodes on how to manage risk and avoid misadventure, what to do in the moment of crisis, how to manage conflict and adventure, how to coach people through fear, how to make better decisions. We have case studies and the list just goes on. When you follow the podcast, you don't have to worry about losing the show because new episodes will come directly to you when they are released. If you've already followed the show, Jordy and I would like to thank you very much for your support. You're awesome. Now, back to our interview with Tracy Fraser. So Tracy, I once had a, a program manager for an adventure guide training program tell me that one of the students that made him nervous, the types of students that made him nervous, is when he saw a highly skilled, young, athletic male enter the training program with the goal of becoming a guide. And the reason that this made him nervous was that he knew from experience that when things come easy to someone, it can be really hard for them to relate to how difficult someone else with less natural ability might find that same task. 
This can lead to a frustration and can negatively affect their ability to get the best out of the people that they're working with. What kind of advice can you give to the listeners out there that may have found themselves in that situation? Yeah, I think you are hitting on something that is probably one of the most important things that I value in a coach, and that's the ability to have empathy. You have to be able to put yourself in your other person's shoes, just see what they're seeing, feel what they're feeling so that you can coach them appropriately for them. Um, a good example, some, a lesson that I learned in empathy, which has stuck with me forever, was when I was in grade three, we had someone come into our classroom and give us these goggles to wear that made everything really blurry. And they explained to us that that's what it looks like for someone that has partial blindness, that's living with partial blindness. And for me, it just struck a huge chord. Like right away, I could see the immediate impact of what someone else would deal with from day to day. So I think it's really important, you know, if you have someone like that come into your group to one, you can just have a conversation about that. You know, what do you think this would feel like for someone, you know, that is like this or someone that is like this and have people discuss, you know, what that would be like so that they can think about that. We're trying to put that into our courses for sure. Um, we have a module that I helped write actually for the CSIA, which is called the Learner Considerations Module. And that's exactly what that is about, is try to have empathy for others, you know, other sorts of um, psychological approaches to skiing. Are you someone that just likes to go? You know, like Jordi, you were talking about that, like kind of just jumping in and trying the car and driving. Or are you someone likes that likes to sit back and have more of a plan before you go? And being able to know that there's a very likely those different types of learners that are showing up to you and that your approach maybe have to, have to be different for different people and finding out what that is, is key to you being a good coach. If you only take one approach, yeah, you're going to lose people. The engagement is going to go and you're only going to engage some people that may be like you. So being able to change your approach for different people is really important. You have a lot of experience, Tracy, in not just instructing, but instructing instructors, uh, which is which is quite amazing. What does an effective teaching process look like to you? Yeah, I think that really differs depending on who the student um, is that you have. So for beginners, I really like to take an approach that's more of a progression approach. So you start from the very basics and just orienting, sorry, orienting someone to their environment to start. And what you would do is add little block on top of little block as that student progresses. And again, watching to see that it's not too much, maybe having to step back a step before moving forward again. So that works really well with, with beginners. With more developed students, I use more of a whole part whole approach. So when I was talking about those level four skiers and we go up in the morning, we get warmed up and we're, we're skiing basically final form to start. And as a coach, what I'll do is watch that skier and see like, what are the components that maybe are missing? And so I'll take one of the components out and work that component again and again in a variety of situations. And that, that's where exercises and drills come in to really work that one component, then put that component back into their skiing and then watch the final form again to see if we've had improvement there. So again, it just really depends on the person that you have. And it may be the day, it may be their psychological state that day of what approach you use. And again, watching your students to see what they need. I remember a ad for the Lake Louise Ski School that was on, on the way walking up to the lodge there. 
and I'm not sure if it's there anymore, but uh, it, it said uh, it was an advertisement for the ski, ski, the ski school specifically, and it said saving relationships since 1972. And basically having, having someone, <laughs> someone else instruct your, your spouse or kids or that sort of thing, right, is uh, people that are close to you uh, can often be the best way to, uh, to have them feel fulfilled and, and accomplishments and, and less frustration. So what, what's some advice you can give someone who's struggling with teaching their spouse or children? Yeah, that's funny. I don't know if we actually put that sign up, but we did have a sign in mind anyway that said, snow school, cheaper than divorce. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's sad, but it's true. You just, you see those couples on the hill and you just see the, ah, oh, this, the, you know, one of the partners just being so deflated, you know, like absolutely emotionally spent on the hill, feeling like a total failure. And the other one, you know, trying really hard to just be like, yeah, you just, come on, just put your skis together. Just do this. So I don't know. I definitely... There are some people that are able to do it. You know, there are some couples that do learn from each other and they've got a great relationship and they can learn from each other. And that is not myself and my husband. Love him, but there's only a couple things that we can do together that, you know, he's great when it comes to climbing. I can totally learn climbing from him. But funny, he was trying to teach me how to telemark um, ski and we had made it probably 200 meters before we were in a fight. And I was screaming at him student-centered student-centered teaching <laughs> and really what I wanted him to just know was the way that I wanted to learn which obviously he didn't really know and he was trying his best but I guess what's really important in any coaching relationship is that the learner the learner is going to be the learner and you don't really know how you're going to act emotionally so the teacher needs to be aware of that and have so much patience and so much time and willingness to step back and give a ton of positive encouragement. They're not going to believe you anyway, your partner, but, you know, being able to encourage a lot and really step back and figure out what is the learner's goals and what is the learner's motivation. And if you can work with those two things and you're probably going to have a, you know, a great success. If you try to impose your motivation or your goals on your learner, Good luck. You know, you see that with kids and with spouses all the time is that it's more for the teacher than it is for the student. So again, being able to step back and figure that out, that's pretty crucial. And the reason why there are guides, instructors, coaches is because that's what they do. They're, they're good at it. And they often, even, even if they know the people already, there's often that sort of prof professional relationship that's, that's set up where one is the student and one is the coach or instructor, and it's already kind of set up that way. And if you're coming into it from, you know, being peers, spouses, uh, you know, a parent for, you know, child kind of relationship, you already have these preconceived notions and you're almost set up to, for failure in a lot of ways for how it's going to go, because now you're trying to move into that uh, coaching role or student role and it's just not not natural and you know it, all it takes is an eye roll or a head shake or something like that and and off you go it's it's uh, failing right there I think you hit it right on the head there that's exactly yeah well thanks so much for your time Tracy yeah it was really fun
I love, I honestly love geeking out and talking about skiing and development and growth. It's, it's my jam. I don't think we do that enough in the various industries that we're involved with. And so I, th- I think this is going to be really valuable for our listeners uh, to have this as a, or as a resource um, that, you know, it, it exists places, right? We do professional development and we focus on our instructional skills and, and our guiding skills. But uh, yeah, you can never do enough of that in your never ending quest to be a better coach, instructor, guide. Yeah. And you know what, if I could do a little plug for the CSAA, like if you are a ski geek out there and you do like listening to the stuff and talking about it and you want to find, you know, a group of like-minded people, the CSAA courses are great because that's what you do. You find your people and you hang out and you geek out and talk about skiing and development of skiing and teaching approaches. And it's great for your own skiing, you know, as one part of it, but it's really great for you just to become a better skier and a coach. We're going to let you go here, Tracy. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been fantastic. Okay, Jordy, when it comes to being an effective coach, what were some of your takeaways or things that jumped out at you from what Tracy had to say? Well, Chris, yeah, there's so many good points there and tips and tricks from Tracy. Uh, She's obviously very, very experienced in uh, the progression of bringing people up through uh, what she does in terms of skiing. And you know, one one thing that stood out was observing and looking for areas that can be improved. A good coach is someone who can watch and listen to people carefully. And what a good co- coach is looking for are the weaknesses in the people that they are coaching. And the, the weaknesses in particular that they can help with. One of the best ways to manage the risks that uh, that we face is to make sure that we are as good as we can be. The better we are at anything, the less likely we are to make a mistake. So being better also makes everything more enjoyable, right? If we can bring, help people bring up their level of skill set to a point where they are consciously competent, then uh, it's just more enjoyable. They know they know what they're doing, and then they can just focus on the experience. Another, another one that stood out for me is the pace of delivery of information. So people really can get frustrated if we give them way too many things to work on or to think about at one time. And I've been guilty of that too in my my training and coaching um, side of things. This can cause them to struggle with, uh, you know, with achieving results and in the end make them even more frustrated. So being an effective coach uh, requires that we ensure that we pace the amount of information and the amount of feedback and the amount of tips and ideas that we give them. Uh, you know, you're standing there on the snow slope and you say, uh, try these seven different things and it, you know, or even two different things. And really that doesn't work for me. So why would it work for them? Uh, so one thing at a time and in order of priority, um, hopefully too. So you can, you can work on one skill set, one thing to fix and then, okay, yeah, that's much better. And then maybe even give it a bit of time where it's like, okay, we're just focusing still on that. And you know there's all these other things to work on, but they don't know that yet. And then you carry on um, giving them another one. And another thing that is really helpful is we have in our pocket all the time Super Pro 4K video cameras. It's called our phone. And so don't be afraid to pull that out and just snap a few um, you know, photos or even better video and then show it to them. So one of the, the keys to being an effective coach is to ensure that we pace the amount of feedback and material that we're giving people. Really, if you try and push them too far too fast, you end up overwhelming them. 
And this can be a real challenge uh, for coaches who love to share what they know. So just, you know, trickle the information out uh, and you probably will see better results faster. That's an excellent point, Jordy. You know, often I think of presenting information uh, when we're teaching. That's really what we're doing. I think of it as doing it in a way that is like telling a story. And if we look at how a book is structured, you know, the first chapter gives you a little bit of information then in every chapter that comes afterwards adds on to it. So like you said there, I like how you phrased that of giving the most relevant information first and then, and then going from there. A couple of the key, key takeaways for me and, and what she had to say uh, was first, the idea of being student-centered or taking that student-specific approach. And so each person that we deal with is unique. Everybody thinks and, and reacts and learns in a different way. And so one approach may work for one person, whereas it might not work uh, for another person. And so, you know, when we're teaching people skills or trying to improve uh, them, we really need to be open to trying different methods. And if one thing doesn't work, then we may have to switch gears. Just because we want to tell a story a certain way doesn't mean that that's going to resonate with our audience. The second part I, I'll just touch on is the idea of getting that buy-in to change behavior patterns. You can't change someone's performance if they don't see a problem with what they're doing to start with. And so if you want somebody to get better, and the reason you might need them to get better is to make it safer for them or more enjoyable or to increase their efficiency so that they can go farther and they don't get tired, you're going to have to make the case as to why they should want to do that in the first place. Now let's turn it over to you, the listener. What were your key takeaways? You can share your thoughts, stories, and insights with us via our social media feeds or by emailing us. You can find all of our contact information at deliveringadventure.com and in the show notes. Please don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button for this podcast in your favorite player so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your like-minded friends so that they can enjoy it too. Thanks for listening.